The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the book club show on Inspire 105.1 FM. My name is Imrana and today is Tuesday the 8th of October and it's 10 o'clock. I hope you have had a wonderful morning um, so far. I know it's a little, I mean the sun's out, it's a little bit obviously um, chilly. I actually have a cold so you're going to have to excuse my slightly kind of um, froggy um, voice uh, this morning. Um, But today is a really, really um, special show because I am joined by an amazing guest who is the author of the book Muslim Mothers and and Their Children's Schooling which has been written by um, Suma Din Um, and basically it's a book that I came across um, quite maybe a couple of years ago and it was actually through um, Shamiza Rashid who obviously presents the Urban Cube and which is the first time I actually spoke um, to Suma was actually obviously absolutely wonderful and um since then, I've been following um, her work, and this book is absolutely amazing. So I'm just going to read um, the blurb, and then we'll be joined um, over the phone uh, by Summer to talk through um, some of the really, um, I think, interesting and intriguing kind of findings about this book, Muslim Mothers and Their Children's Schooling. Um, so the blurb says, this book brings the voices of Muslim mothers into the discourse on parent-school relations. What they say is essential reading for teachers, student teachers, sociology of education students, policymakers, and those working with families. Sumadin's study gives voice to over 50 women from a wide range of African, Arab, and Asian backgrounds, all social classes, some of them immigrants, but many of them born in the UK. They speak about the hijab, choice of schools, religious festivals, the curriculum, the prevent strategy, sex and relationship education, and much else. The book sheds light on their identities, experiences, and challenges as they support their children through state schools in Britain. So this is um, a really going to be a really interesting um, show today. And I know many of our listeners hopefully will be um, listening in who maybe you are a mother um, yourself or maybe um, a teacher or maybe you're on the governing board at a school. Um, or maybe you're actually a young person at home at the moment who's kind of gone through the education system who also might want to share, um, I guess, um, experiences of just going through um the school system really and how um, we've all kind of navigated what it means to be um, I guess a Muslim mother in in British society and I know obviously it's one of those things that is talked about uh, quite a lot whether it's um, you know in politics or or just you know generally generally through schools and and as I've seen um, a mother myself and also a teacher um, I think it was really wonderful to be able to pick up a book and read something where my own experiences were, were reflected in you know kind of so many facets of life and I think it's definitely um, a really important book and you know which is actually giving a platform um, to um, our voices as Muslim mothers which is so so important is in this current you know kind of social political climate and um, if you do have any um, thoughts or views as you're listening to the discussion you can call in on 01582481822 or you can whatsapp in on 0779481822. So coming back to um, the book today, so Muslim Mothers and Their Children's Schooling. I mean, it's one, it's it's probably a different book from what I've usually um, speak about on the show because it is one of those, and actually when I was speaking to even um, uh, Summer recently, you know, in order to prepare, you know, for the show, and she was just mentioning actually academic uh, books or, you know, those kind of um, in that genre aren't, always maybe discussed as much I mean um, some of uh, obviously the listeners you know you might know that I run actually a Dharamana book club in in Luton and again um, we tend to obviously we we try to be as diverse as we can in terms of our book selection so we read obviously um, fiction non-fiction and we always try to read things that maybe are out of our comfort zone which we wouldn't normally read and that's one of the beauties actually of book club to be able to come together as a group and um yeah, I just read something that maybe wouldn't normally read and hopefully obviously learn as well. And I think that's why, obviously, I do feel that I'm so passionate about uh, the book club show um, for Inspire FM as well. This idea that I know many of us sometimes don't get a chance necessarily to to read because obviously we do have quite busy lives. And um, and it, this kind of show really is for those people who maybe really really do want to read or maybe just want to discuss some themes that actually are out there in in kind of the uh, literature world so to speak so be so being able to I think just listen into the show and listen into discussion and 
I think that in itself can be um, quite, I guess, just just really interesting. And hopefully what I would really love is the idea that maybe if you listen to something on the show and then maybe you can have a conversation in your own spaces and, and just kind of carry on those uh, conversations, which are so, so important. Um, so we will be joined um by Summer um, on the phone, um, who is the author of Muslim Mothers and Their Children's Schooling. Um, so Summer is um, Summer Din is a writer, researcher and educator who has worked with parents in the adult learning sector. She has over two te- decades experience in the voluntary sector, supporting women and children's projects and interfaith work. Um, and even, for example, in at the it's it's something which has been the book itself has been published by um, UCL, um, the Institute of Education Press. Um, and again, as somebody who um, I actually did my PhD at the Institute of Education, in terms of an institution, it definitely is one that. I would like to say, and it's not just because I went there, they are kind of producing, you know, um, the educators of uh, the next generation. And I think that it's so, so important to be able to um, just have that access, I guess, and have that platform and hopefully support to be able to voice, you know, all the opinions that we really need to share. So we are, I am delighted to be um, introducing Summa over the line. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam Imrana. How are you this morning? Alhamdulillah, I'm well. I think I'm coming down with something, so I'm going to oh, apologise no. for coughing afterwards. <laughs> no, 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 I'm in the same boat, and I know there's many people. Yeah. It's just one of those, um, it's, it's the, the weather. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank um, you very much, Imrana, for the invite. Oh no, I am so glad that you've you know you're, you're taking the time out to be able to speak to us uh, this morning. And and if you wouldn't mind, maybe if we could just start off um, with a little bit of background on how your book Muslim Mothers and Their Children's Schooling came about, and then maybe we can spend a little bit of time after talking about some of the themes. Yeah, sure. Um, about four to five years ago, I was um, I went back to university. I was doing my masters in social justice and education, mm. and there was quite a lot um, about race and sort of critical race theory and, you know, all the things um, revolving around mm-hmm. race in education. Yes. And so I'd looked at the experience of Muslim children in mm. one particular area of deprivation as part of my studies. Mm-hmm. And when I finished all that, I realized that actually there was very little in the library. I was at the IOE, mm-hmm. the Institute of Education, which is like the world's best place for educational mm. research. Um, <laughs> And there was just nothing that I could put my finger on and say, okay, that book or that those articles represent or actually give voice to the experience Muslim mothers are having mm. through the school system. There were studies done which were um, sort of more culturally based. So mm. there would be, there's like quite a well-known one about um, a Mirpuri community in Oxford, for example, and their relationship with the education or a community up in Bradford and their relationship with education. So it took you know, valuable research, but it was from a cultural perspective mm-hmm, yes, and often from an immigration perspective. Mm. And um, I just knew what I was going through. Um, mm. I've got three children. They're grown up now, yeah, mashallah, sure. but mm. I went through the whole school system with them. I was born in this country, so mm. I can see it from being a kid here Um, and then all our contemporaries friends relatives I knew that that this is another group that needs their voices heard you Mm. know they're significant Um, even though we have so much diversity within Muslim parents Mm. cultures mothers you know I'm not using those terms in the narrow sense whoever mothers whether Mm. it's a grandmother or foster care or you know Mm -hmm the role is the same, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I know that there, there's, um, over the years, over sort of 20 years, we've seen that evolution of our identities mm. and we are creating our own identities, which often do have the faith as a central part. Yeah. Um, quite different to, say, my mom's generation here who mm. came in the late 60s. So, you know, all those things put together yeah. actually pushed me to say, well, you know what, I, I will do the research then. I'll look for um, mm. just some of the themes at least because those who are in teacher training mm. or in the social um, sector doing you know, really important family engagement jobs or mm. in the foster area, you know, there's so many areas within that sector of um, 
care and families mm. and education who I don't think they get a window in no. through literature at least, mm. you know, through their personal experience they do. So um, a number of areas I've just quickly touched on, yes, that yes. all came mm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, I, I have the access to parents, mm-hmm. um, to mothers. I've just done this master's, which had a great qualitative research uh, module in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to use that without having to go through sort of the long path of a PhD and yeah. da da da. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm probably a bit impatient. And I thought, right, I just want to do this. Yeah. And um, because Alhamdulillah, I got a very good response mm. from the publishers, mm-hmm. uh, I went ahead with doing the research because yeah. I knew it would be published by them. Yeah, that's that's actually actually so interesting to hear that process of what led to it. I think it's it's and it, again, like you said, it's really giving this platform to something that wasn't already there. So, what do you mm-hmm. feel? I mean, what is in your opinion that is contributing to the idea that actually, as Muslim mothers, we, I guess, historically or, or up until now, have been kind of absent from the public discourse around you know schooling or education? I mean, what do you think has partly led to that? Do you think? I think. Um... In terms of on-the-ground involvement, mothers from Muslim backgrounds, and being as broad as possible here, because Mm -hmm. my research was broad, I had Somali mothers, Bangladeshi, Pakistani, Mm. English Muslim mothers, Arab Muslim mothers, smaller proportions, but, Mm -hmm. you know, speaking across that spectrum, they have been really involved on the ground. Mm. Sure. Um, And they really are passionate about their children's education and they do what they can they do their best that came across the most strongly Mm. but coming back to your question of why they're absent from public discourse I think there's so many factors and Mm. the this identity has evolved slowly Mm. Um, and so before people were involved in the public discussion through their Pakistani identity or the Bangladeshi Mm. identity that kind of thing that's Mm. one area or one reason and the other reason why they're absent is um, it, it's quite difficult to be part of policy yeah. <laughs> unless mm-hmm. you're in academic positions or you're in, you know, mm-hmm. something influential, think tanks and all of that. Um, and our mothers historically aren't yeah, in, sure. in those areas. It's improved. It's changing a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, Year on year, there are more mothers involved in this, but it's quite difficult yeah. to mm-hmm. be at that level yeah. um, mm-hmm. um, not to say that there aren't researchers now who yeah. are Muslim yeah. researchers and they're also parents also mothers depending on what their research area is mm. they are uh, contributing a lot yes in yeah. that area but um, coming back to mm. mothers who you know there might be an absence there, there's definitely that feeling that there's an absence in terms of communicating with schools mm-hmm. or communicating. So we're back to the sort of grassroots level here I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reasons for that if um, you want me to go through those. Well, I mean, I guess it's kind of thinking about, you know, like you said, that there, there must be some factors that are uh, contributing to that. And this idea that do you think it, it, when we talk about communication, is it that it's at the moment not like a, two-way street where like you said that there are Muslim mm. mothers who are really really invested in their children's education but do you think then there's a lack I mean maybe not a lack but but um something missing from from the side of the educators then so f- from your research and, and and the book that you've you know the stories mm. that you've you've got from the, the mothers themselves mm-hmm. is there something that can bridge that gap then between mothers and, and the educators and how that communication can be kind of more um I guess meaningful and impactful. Yeah, and two way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. So much about that in the book. Yeah. Um, firstly, there's uh, a lot about the mothers that they they talked about the reason that some of them are not involved. Sure. Um, and those are structural issues. There, some mm. some of them want to be involved, but they felt they didn't know how to be because they don't know what PTA is. They don't know what the government yeah, did sure. you know so there's structural issues there especially mm. if they didn't grow up here mm-hmm. um those are sort of the big ones and then there's secondly there's things like different cultural expectations sure. people are coming from different places and, and 
that in some countries you don't get involved with the school. Mm-hmm. You're not meant to. No, sure. <laughs> and um, yeah. whereas here that's changed quite a lot in the mm-hmm. last sort of 30 years. There's been a lot more of a shift towards the policy of parents mm-hmm. being engaged with the school and you know really being partners, mm-hmm. school partnership, parents-teacher partnership has um, evolved as well. Mm-hmm. Another reason why sometimes they're not in contact as much is they feel a lack of confidence and lack of support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's quite difficult to um, communicate with staff if you don't feel confident yourself. Yeah. Um, and I'm coming to your actual question just uh, no, good, about yeah. how to improve this. Yes. Just putting some of the things Context. that my mother said in the research. Mm. Sometimes they want to be involved, but they feel barriers in terms of their responsibilities. Um, I had about 53 mums mm-hmm. answering interview questions and being part of the focus group. Mm. And for some of them, the joint family system, caring for elderly relatives, in-laws, their own parents, actually meant that they couldn't participate Mm. as much as they wanted to in school life and they couldn't communicate when they felt it was necessary purely because they just had too many responsibilities. So there's a whole spectrum of reasons why they said they felt people weren't involved as much as they could be. How do we improve that, coming to your question? there's, there's many suggestions that my mum's made, and I'll actually mm. go through that, is that there needs to be, on both sides, sort of mm. more organised communication. Sure. So <coughs> the pet for the teachers, for example, those who have worked in schools, because I had uh, quite a few mums who were working in different capacities in their local schools, school, sure. from yeah. deputy head to teaching assistants to, yeah. you know, um, lunchtime supervisors. Sure. They said that then there was a need for more training for staff so they don't make assumptions oh, right. um, yeah. about mm. the mothers. And because that put a lot of mothers off, they mm. felt that there was a, like a negative identity from the media, from yeah. um, different quarters. And that actually puts some mothers off. They don't want yeah. to, um, to have direct communication. And mm. if that for the training part of insets or mm. other forms of training um, would help inform staff about the diversity in the Muslim cultures, yeah. um, fact versus fiction versus mm. myth yeah, exactly. <laughs> versus culture. That was one thing that they mm. quite strongly recommended, and that came from different mothers in different settings because mm. I went to five locations across England. Brilliant, yeah. yeah. Um, another thing, yeah, just to summarise, um, is mm. that there needs to be a lot more information sharing mm-hmm. Yeah, about sure. the processes in the school. Yeah, so how do you get involved in this? Or right. how do you um, just sort of offer to set up a club? Yeah. A yeah. gardening club or something. Mm. There, there's a lot of goodwill there, um, but there's this gap between yeah. what pe- mothers want to mm. contribute and do, yeah. or even to do with the curriculum. Mm. When we discuss curriculum, there was um, quite a significant yeah. proportion of moms who said, we just didn't know or we weren't mm. explained to about mm. what was in that part of the curriculum, and, yeah. which is why we had trouble with it. Yeah for example. <coughs> mm-hmm. um, so communication mm. is the key, really. Yeah. yeah. And and in finding ways to improve that dialogue um, so that we get away from this whole stereotype of um, the Muslim mothers who go in and complain about things. Yeah, yeah, sure. That was <laughs> I'm not one of those. That was I'm not up. one of those, by the way. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> No, I don't. No, I had mothers saying, no, I, I identify as a Muslim mom, but not one of those. Yeah. Ones. And when <laughs> I probed them, that's exactly that what they so said. That, um, yeah, I don't want to be identified as one that yeah. comes in just to complain. Right. So, what a lot of my books saying, with the help of all these mothers' stories, mm. is go in beforehand, make a relationship with teachers. Sure. If you don't feel confident, Mm. There's always a more confident mom you sure. go together or another mm. parent. Yeah. Um, but have a positive relationship so yeah. it's not based on um, mm. 
complaints and yeah. problems. Yeah, of course, exactly. Yeah, Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a two-way street. A yeah. lot of teachers say, um, you know, we, we don't hear from what their, yeah. the, the mothers think or what mm. they experience. They don't tell us. Yeah, sure. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because this kind of whole two-way street, which is obviously it counts, you know, in anything. But I think even for myself, I think because obviously as a as a mother who needs to sometimes obviously go go to um, you know um, teachers to communicate certain things about my children, but also then on the other side being a teacher, um, mm. I think yeah, you're right because it's almost like you know both sides really need to be making, I guess, that concerted effort. But but I guess coming back to the point that you made about. Um, Muslim mothers potentially their confidence also being affected by certain expectation not expectations um perceptions that teachers might hold which obviously might be rooted in something more structural um now I know you mentioned in the book about um the social media um like a, a platform which is um you know Muslim mamas and obviously there's there's others as well so we're not just um obviously focusing on one but but just generally because there's a quote in the book where you know you you mentioned Muslim women are alien othered and dehumanized um now these platforms that exist out of the educational I guess um uh sphere which obviously is you know so something like Muslim mamas or you know something similar to that where there are a lot of there's a lot of communication I guess going on there isn't there between mothers themselves so then yeah. you know can social media platforms like those do more do you think to to then I don't know whether it's to link in with the education system or or to um again you know kind of bridge that gap that we were talking about earlier well I think they've got really important role they're really powerful actually and Mm. I'm on uh, two or three different um just like Facebook pages which are Muslim parents Muslim mothers Mm. um and I think the ones the pages that are specifically about parents and the education system mm-hmm. have been very helpful if anything they share information on um, protocol policies how to approach a school mm-hmm. before things get out of hand sometimes sure. um, and also on the positive side it's not all about problems yeah, there's course, a lot yeah. of really good stories that go around just in the comments mm. you know that it's Eid coming up and this is what we've done. This mm. is how we communicated with the school. These are the things we made, some mm. amazing moms out there sure. um, doing some very, very positive yeah. work. And those platforms are great for sharing that, mm. mm-hmm. for sharing good practice. Absolutely. Yeah. Both sides, because um, mm. sometimes a mom will put something up about a problem yeah. and ask for advice. Um, mm-hmm. And, there's so many useful comments that come through saying, oh, we've faced this as well, but mm. we had this sort of communication, we explained things this way, um, and it was resolved really easily. Uh, yeah, you yeah. know, as, as mm. well as structural uh, in, information mm. by those who are obviously professional mm. and they know they know the ropes, they share that kind of information of procedure. Yes. Um, yeah. And a lot of parents, especially when it's your own child, it's very emotional. Mm. If you're going through a problem or you hit a roadblock, even yeah. that really well-informed parents, it becomes difficult to mm. think clearly because it's your own child. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's just, um, yeah. And so it's not all nice and cut and dry. Yeah. But those platforms then are excellent, I mm. find, because they, they give a balance. Um, if somebody replies with something a little bit off the mark Mm. someone else will say well actually no I've had a different experience yeah yeah exactly Um, and I Mm. think this this went really well yeah absolutely um so I I actually think how did we cope in my time when my kids were little there was no social media (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm a dinosaur in comparison (laughs) so um we had to spend a lot of like actual uh, time real time yeah. with each other mm. talking so, to each other yeah. yeah a lot of more coffee mornings yes. a lot more <laughs> that kind of thing yeah. um to support each other and say okay and it wasn't all problems it was no, a lot of it yeah. was very positive yeah um like running little projects in school yeah. cultural projects all voluntary yeah um cultural days food days dress days mm. whatever it was diversity linked yeah um 
that 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 had to be done on the ground you're Mm. all so luckier with these social media platforms you've got instant um communication yeah i can vouch for that because i'm always on i'm always on whatsapp (laughs) with with some of the mums going oh so you know like for example world book day what's your child are you making something no i'm just gonna go to the shop and be lazy and it's nice (laughs) to be able to just have those really um yeah Yeah. just kind of average discussions as as any mum would but yeah you're right and it's about kind of creating this you know we we always talk about this village and being able to raise children in this mm. way and how obviously we've in some ways lost that but then also this interconnectedness whether it is you know in cyberspace but at least it's you know it's something there which is so wonderful and we, we are just going to be approaching um uh, the break soon but is there any way that people if they want to get more information how can they get in touch with you or where's the best place they can even purchase yeah the sure there's um, a muslimmothers.org website, which is mm-hmm. all about the book, and there's a contact um, form there. Mm-hmm. There is a Muslim Mothers Facebook page, which is a book page. I'm not confusing that no, with the big, no, big sure. um, platform. No, this sure. is all book-related. Yes. Um, and, you know, the welcome to contact uh, me mm-hmm. through that. There's also my writing website, The Rooted Writer. Oh, lovely. That, yes. uh, dot co.uk and that's probably the easiest way to get in contact but Mm -hmm. um, I think to just say as a last moment for mums to really share good practice because there are a lot of great teachers out there as well. Thank you and we're just going to head to the break but thank you so much Summer for your time today. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast making available our popular programmes from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Asalaamu Alaikum and welcome back to the Book Club Show on Inspire 105.1 FM. My name is Imrana. It is Tuesday the 8th of October and it's 10.30. I hope um, you had, well, you grabbed yourself a cup of tea in between uh, the break. We are today discussing Muslim Mothers and Their Children's Schooling by Summa Din. We were joined um, just before the break on the phone um, and we had a lovely discussion with Summa about uh, this absolutely amazing um, book and this, I guess, collection of stories. So um, as Summa was um, saying that she spoke to about, I think it's 50, if I can remember, over 50 women uh, from a wide range of African, Arab and Asian backgrounds, um, different classes, um, some of them uh, immigrants and some uh, born in the UK. And it was really interesting just to really speak to Summer about some of the findings in terms of um, almost like a communication gap, perhaps, between parents and, and teachers or Muslim mothers obviously in this instance to be um, more specific and how we can try to bridge that and I definitely believe that um, this book is definitely a start to that this idea that we've been able to have a platform where is a resource and really important resource I think for um, teachers and educators where they are now at least able to go to something and I guess, really empower themselves. And I, I'm talking specifically about teachers. And um, what I was going to do is actually read a little um, section of the book, which honestly, when I was reading it, I just thought, oh my gosh, that this is just, <laughs> um, it's kind of where we are, I guess, at the moment when it comes to um, what Summer was saying in terms of perceptions about Muslim mums. And when we, and, you know, not even maybe just Muslim mums, but even just Muslim women. And and we know in the current social political climate that um you know, we we are always, you know, and I say, I know I say this line all the time, but we, it's because it's true. Uh, we are kind of spoken about and not really spoken to. And then this kind of then just spirals into these really weird perceptions that sometimes people have. And a lot of it is actually sometimes down to, um, I would say, perceptions of um race and cultural background and class so all these things and all these intersections I think mean that there are definitely misconceptions and I do feel that there are some um institutions that really need to address this and the only way really I think that we can start addressing is to really looking at the history of you know history of Britain and its its relationship with with um, other countries so when we talk about you know post-colonialism and we would talk about you know there's lots of discourse at the moment about um, you know deconstructing uh, the curriculum and what that actually means and and you know in the past I've spoken a lot about you know representation and um, you know all the you know um, 
amazing kind of people with a platform who are constantly um, talking about why that's important so when we talk about this word diversity what does it actually mean and I think for myself as a mother and also as a teacher when we talk about diversity in um, or diverse range of opinions in the education sector it's so important that we start picking that because you know you only need to look at some of the um, you know um, I guess rules or, or coming out you know from the government or, or even perceptions so if we you know talk about the Casey report in terms of um you know apparently you know mums from or Muslim mums let's be specific um you know not knowing English and, and they need to learn English more but they're not addressing the fact that actually there's been such a huge um cut in funding to, to ESOL um classes so how are we meant to you know um bridge these gaps so um yeah so coming back to um the book muslim mothers and their children's schooling i'm just going to then read out um this section and it's quite in it's it's in the start of the book and i'm just trying to find it because i've lost my page because i got completely engrossed in talking about um politics which is all always um a bad thing to do but well no I not really bad it's just yeah anyway right so this bit of the book which is actually part of the preface of, of um is is called lost in turnips question mark two hours into the staff inset and the presentation was coming to an end the condensed tightly packed packaged account of the main beliefs festivals and ideas for contextualizing the quran and ramadan had been delivered through the powerpoint resources and intermittent dialogue as one does at the end of a session, I asked, any other questions? We still have a bit of time. It was a full catch, with several questions on anticipated themes, protocols about using uh, Quran in class, the two Eids, prayer rituals and so on. But one question stood out. A, a teacher who hadn't spoken before raised her hand from the furthest point of the semicircle, cleared her throat <clears throat> and proceeded. I take a year two class and we were doing some food tasting. I'd sent letters home to say what we were doing. But there was this one kid who said he was told not to touch anything and he didn't. I mean, he wouldn't. So I wanted to ask. She shuffled forward on her chair, lowered her head as one does before delivering bad news and asked, can Muslim children, like, can they touch vegetables? I mean, is it all right or, or aren't they supposed to? I repeated a question for those sitting at the other end of the semicircle and to make sure I had heard it correctly. Amongst the answers and observations racing through my mind, I began my answer, suspecting that this was another case of lost in translation on the part of the child. It was lost on the teacher too. Yes, I replied, Muslim children can touch vegetables and pulses and grains and just about every edible thing on earth if the need arises. But I had to say more. Growing up with two other languages as well as English, this seems to me like a case of a young child mistranslating something their parent had said. Maybe mum or dad made an arbitrary co um, comment in Arabic, let's say, not to touch anyone's food at school, or not to eat uh, just anything someone gives you at school, which filtered through a six-year-old's head into a rather odd-sounding, I'm not allowed to touch any food. In my head, I, he I heard some of the daily phrases my mother uses and the absurdity of trying to translate them. I continued... I know when I think of phrases from Bengali and Urdu, if I translate them literally, they'll sound odd. Translations complex at the best of times. But I can assure you, there has never been a problem of touching vegetables in the Muslim past, nor is there in, there in the present, nor will there be in the future. She smiled and nodded her understanding. But something inside me shifted from optimism to reality. Is this where we've arrived? How did we get to a stage where a child's faith identity is so alien that the most normal of norms invites a question like this? So there we have it. And I have to admit, just reading that out, I, I was just about to kind of actually giggle. And I mean that with utmost respect um, to obviously the teacher who asked that question. But it's probably giggle more of actually exasperation and just echoing that sentiment of of is that really where we are kind of at the moment and the fact that this then in this book M Muslim Mothers and Their Children's Schooling by Summer and obviously that is um, and then basically after this excerpt um, it goes on to say that morning reminded me of a friend's story about being invited um, to visit a primary school class as a guest and goes on to uh, think about uh, different situations and conversations similar to that and I think it's just so important that when we talk about, you know, p 
perceptions and this idea of lost in translation or in this case lost in turnips that um how much actually really does need to be done in terms of addressing um, these issues and why is it that as soon as and again this is I guess my own opinion but if we are dealing with a child from particular maybe background or a background which is different to ours this othering I think sometimes leads to the misconceptions as well now not everyone might agree with that but I think that had that child been um, not a Muslim child and not maybe from a particular um, ethnicity and had said I'm not allowed to touch any food I have a feeling that teacher wouldn't have answered that question right it wouldn't have said oh you know I must you know or so and so not allowed to touch vegetables because it's there's a default position that if you are for example um uh, an English white child, let's say, um, that it it doesn't invite all these different, you know, perceptions of your identity. But as soon as you are othered, you know, it's same, for example, myself, I sometimes are, um, am in spaces and where I might just be the only kind of Miss South Asian, you know, Muslim, visibly Muslim woman. And I can see that, um, of course, you know, and it's not done, you know, with, you know, malicious intent or anything, but, you know, feeling othered and then being asked questions where you suddenly feel that, you know, you're on, you know, you, you know, am I on display that people are asking me certain, you know, questions which they wouldn't be asking anybody else? And you're always trying to navigate you know, these conversations. And and again, I think as a teacher, and, and you know, someone mentioned that obviously the book itself is uh, published by um, UCL, the Institute of Education. And I, I did my, you know, um, teacher training at the Institute of Education, and it was a wonderful experience. I definitely believe that I received probably, you know, one of the best, um, or I had access to, you know, the best training um, that there was but even then I think there is always something lacking because I don't ever remember being able to um, go through teacher training and, and talk about those things which are so you know a part of an essence of the education system where then I would for example go on and um, have a, you know a three-week placement or however long it is at an inner London school because that's where I'm originally from um, and not be able to really talk about things that might you know feel resonant with the children that I was speaking to so for example if um you know I've got I'm talking to a class which is predominantly um I don't know South Asian let's say you know and, I, and I'm just sitting there talking about you know books of certain um authors or I'm talking about um even you know because I have a background in in science as a science teacher um just talking about different you know science experiments or any kind of scientific research and having to then you know, look to the Islamic um, civilization and talk about all the different um, inventions and all the discoveries that, you know, we made in terms of, you know, those of Muslim heritage. But that was never, ever talked, you know, about when I was actually being trained um, as a teacher. Um, so that was me having to rely, I guess, on my own knowledge that has been imparted to me, I guess, through, you know, my own um, teachers or my parents. Um, but so even an institution which could be really highly regarded and even, you know, uh, the last book, um, at the last book club show, we talked about A Fly Girl's Guide to University, um, and, you know, written by four, you know, wonderful um, authors from um, who'd studied at Cambridge. Um, and this, again, this idea that there's not enough maybe being done by the educational, you know, institutions to be representative in terms of the discourse that's happening. You know, and that's the thing. I think when we, uh, to have a book like Muslim Mothers and the Children's Schooling on the shelf um, where teachers have access to it, I think it is one of those things that gives an opportunity for those teachers, for the onus really to be on the teachers as well because as Summa um, said, who's obviously the author of the book, that the Muslim mothers that are out there, they are highly invested in their children's education. And like she said, they, they don't, it's not that they don't just want to go in and always be complaining. It's really about wanting to be part of the school system. And now what can schools do to um, bridge that gap? And I think I've seen a lot of, you know, for example, my, my daughter's a primary school age. Um, I've seen it myself where I think schools could really um, do much more in talking about the process as soon as then I thought that was really um, interesting so there's one hand where schools or actually any kind of um, establishment they might be putting on events or they might be putting on um, you know creating these groups that you can be a part of but unless you haven't um, shared the information on how to do that and I think when a lot of us you know in um, maybe you know where this corporate environment or whatever kind of sector that we work in when we talk about engagement or the lack of engagement you know we really need 
to start questioning that is it enough just to be um creating work you know how is it that we are actually gonna um do this kind of and you know we talk a lot about in the arts about co-creation um what does that really mean and it and I completely echo, I think, what Sum is saying. It is about communication. It's about not only telling people this is happening, but actually having um, that space where you can sit down together and have those conversations and say, well, this is, you know, how to get involved or this is how I can support you or we can support each other. And I think those uh, things are just so, so important. And um Again, I think we also touched upon with Summer just before um, the break, um, and I read out a quote which says, Muslim women are alien, othered, and dehumanized. Um, you know, what can we maybe do more to challenge the sensationalist? media depictions you know um, more specifically um and again you know we know in terms of um the role of the government and some of the comments that you know our current prime minister has made about muslim women and um when we know that there's a structural system out there which is actually almost geared towards um not wanting actually to give muslim mothers a platform then what can we do as muslim mothers to make sure that actually we are empowering ourselves to be to have our voices heard and i think that's why you know i, I actually um i'm quite grateful to to summer to, to have you know put on all that time and effort to, to research and meet these mothers to be able to give a platform you know to their stories and being able to talk about all the different um you know not even just concerns but just um generally their stories about what the education means to them of you know of their children themselves and it, it the book also touches upon um uh, the prevent duty and how you know and honestly just just reading um some of the impacts that the prevent duty has had on um how the mothers you know are made to feel in terms of you know uh, bringing up their children and it's it's you know it's I mean I use violent in in a way which I guess is obviously not physical but I think not all violence really needs to be physical but the fact that something like prevent duty is actually silencing um Muslims specifically because we do know that you know partly we, we are being targeted um through it even though and even at the moment because the um commissioner for counter extremism they are releasing a report or i think they, they might have already done it yesterday and um again you know these things that it's a duty now on teachers and obviously other professionals as well that if they see that a child might be prone to the risk of radicalization and what those signs are you know but i'm really worried as a mother myself if my daughter who will be turning 10 soon if at any point she decides to wear um hijab then i you know it's something that i worry about because that could potentially be seen as a sign of you know radicalization and as you know crazy as that sounds that's exactly you know where we're at and obviously we can talk about context and we can say oh no but but the thing is this is it if there is a teacher who maybe has already some misconceptions about those of the muslim faith and they see something which then they think is a sign of you know whatever you know radicalization you know whatever they think then that's a problem because you know even um i've seen on social media over the past couple of days they've um there's been a leak of the fact that you know there's been a database so all people that have been referred um to prevent they, they've now actually got a database of names and you know how it's something of a huge concern for us as parents to know that actually um whether it's ourselves or our children are on a database that we have actually no idea who has access to and how will that impact them when they're older so if they if any of our children want to criticize or critique even um you know, policy or um, anything to do really with politics, does that now suddenly mean that they are, you know, an extremist? And I think it's really important that we start having these conversations. And, you know, even me talking, you know, right now, um, it, you know, all I'm doing is really presenting the other side uh, of an argument. And I think it's important for a book like this where, you know, Muslim mothers and their children are schooling, it touches upon all those um all those different things and I think it's so important actually we can really have that nuance you know nuanced discussion um around uh Muslim others and again you know there's this 
I guess, again, a conversation that needs to be had and maybe what can, you know, head teachers do? I mean, if it was up to me, I would probably send this book to all the head teachers in the country. And I think, you know, even use it as part of teacher training. I didn't actually get a chance to ask them if if maybe... Um, that is already the case, you know, whether this research is actually, you know, being used to, um, you know, to be incorporated as part of, you know, teacher training, which I think would be, um, you know, absolutely fantastic. Um, so I think on the whole, it's just really important that actually all of us, I know obviously the book itself is about Muslim mothers, but actually it's recommended, I guess, for anybody to read who might be in the education system or have any, you know, even if you're working with young people, um, to just take some time out and maybe you know read um some of the research that you know Suma has has um shared in in the book and um i think even for example we were talking about a lot about you know social media and what impact that has and obviously i mentioned that you know I, i'm on whatsapp which means i'm really connected to um lots of mums out there and actually it's amazing and it's true it's not always about kind of negative or some concerns or something worried about i mean there's a, a one group where literally mums were you know we're sharing you know health kind of health tips not just for children but you know even for ourselves as mothers or you know whether it's um something like oh you know what what's somebody making for dinner and you know because actually just this morning I was speaking to a mother saying how much time uh, mental time I take to work out okay what you know needs to be cooked um, uh, for dinner today or, or you know or your kids are demanding this or one's demanding this and somebody else wants that and it's just the amount of time actually we spend as as mums um, on food is kind of ridiculous actually uh, but um so yeah, and there's so much um, to talk about in terms of the things that we can do to really, like I said, you know, empower ourselves and how our faith actually helps us to do that. And just to be confident and to know that actually whatever space that we're in, we belong there. And I think for any mothers who are listening, who perhaps, you know, commu communication might be an issue because maybe English isn't your first language. And I think, you know, I can, when I think about my mother and I think about, you know, the struggles that she would have faced, you know, for first coming here and, um, how obviously it took a long time I guess for her to kind of gain that confidence um in being able to speak English and being able to speak you know to teachers um but I've also then seen mothers now who at the moment you know in the, if you talk about in the context of Luton there are some mothers who you know haven't um been born here but they are completely you know invested in their children's education I have mums who who I've seen who maybe um their their english you know, level of english isn't great but they are there they're at the parents evenings they are part of the parent forum you know at my daughter's school and they are at least present and they know what's going on i mean there's you know all what they'll do is they'll come and then maybe they'll put me to the side afterwards and say look could you explain this bit that i didn't quite understand what was being said and i think it's that communication and that i think just to be present and i think that's the only thing that i could you know really say and so, and I, I guess for my own experience, I do try my best to be involved in um, my children's schools as much as possible. So, yes, I am uh, part of the parent forum. I know many mothers who are also on the governing boards of schools. And I think it's absolutely fantastic because any anything that comes up, you know, you you are there then, especially like, again, in the context of Luton, where, you know, we have um many um people from the Muslim faith you are at least able to represent and give a platform to you know your own I guess your communities and this is not just you know South Asian because we know we in Luton we are in a very very diverse town and that's the other thing I think which is lovely what um Asuma also touched upon that we have you know this diversity within diversity the fact that we you know there are some people out there who as soon as they think Muslim they think of somebody you know Pakistani right and obviously we know that's not the case right and actually even ourselves in our own uh, communities and I'm now talking as a Pakistani mother also have to come out of this mindset that we aren't just in one bubble where we are just with um, people from our own kind of uh, sharing things with our own cultural heritage and actually we do have um mothers from from all different backgrounds and again you know making sure that we're also making those connections and you know and I think it can be a really you know beautiful thing that we can then come together and then have those discussions and how can we then work with schools to get them to understand what our needs are um, so whether it's something like um, you know swimming I remember when I was um, a teacher I had um, a Muslim student uh, come up to me and said she, you know her she was really concerned that when they go and it was a mixed school that when they go to swimming then obviously they are sometimes uh, 
uh, feeling that they don't have enough pri- privacy when at the time of you know well just during swimming and how they you'd be really great or she would feel more comfortable um having you know uh, segregated swimming sessions um now for me as a teacher you know a, a young person come to me and voiced a concern i felt it was my responsibility to at least share that with the with um the the swimming teacher the the PE teacher at the time and honestly as soon as I said it the defense you know this barrier went straight up and all I was saying was I I just want to have a a conversation I wasn't expecting them to completely change the school protocol just because I've got a few you know Muslim girls saying they want this but it was the reaction I guess of the teacher that the defense mechanism went straight up and it was very much like oh no 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 we don't do this it's not part of you know in this legal requirement and you know kind of just almost throwing the book back at me and I just you know there were times like that and I just thought gosh this is really really odd that I can't even share the opinion of of a young person without it becoming almost like a a battle and I think those are the kind of mindsets that that we really need to change or you know again you know as a science teacher um, just being able to talk about um, you know the theory of evolution and um, you know there's you know what there's obviously it's it's you know, what truth is in there and how do we talk about that? And even, you know, we have scholars who actually say, you know, there is evidence for, for you know, evolution. And, you know, so we've got all these different uh, conversations that are being had. But again, I remember just saying something to um, another colleague uh, about, about you know Darwin and, and things like that and again just kind of really feeling like I you know I've I've gone into a territory that apparently I'm not allowed to go in because no it's 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 like a done thing and you know you we, we shouldn't even be talking about it or even discussing it and I think this is when I know there's a lot of uh, conversation at the moment about freedom of speech and and the freedom to offend and and all these things and it can can get quite complicated but I think um, ourselves as um, as Muslim mothers we just need to stand our ground I think we need to be confident and I think always 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 we know we always have our faith that we can hold on to and of course it's important to be when all those um, all these um spaces but then also to be reading ourselves so for anyone who hasn't uh, maybe read um, the book or have a copy I would definitely recommend um, getting Muslim mothers and their children schooling by Sumadin um, and uh, you can get information you know through um, the Institute of Education Press or also the Rooted Writer um, which is um, Summer's blog so you can get in touch with her that way she also mentioned there's a Muslim Mothers um, Facebook page which is obviously just uh, related to the book and it's really important to yeah just um, I think keep in touch with each other and um, just yeah let's just do more reading and you know and that's obviously a great plug for my show so obviously uh, the book club show is every um, fortnightly on Tuesday so I will be back um, in a couple of weeks on a Tuesday morning talking about another um, fantastic book it's actually called Quiet um, and it's so if any of you are introverts I would say you must must tune in because that's going to be a really interesting discussion I will have another guest on the show with me in the meantime I hope you have a lovely day and um, I will see you in a couple of weeks. Asalaamu Alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefmluton.